You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Gators Breakdown, the Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. Gators Breakdown, episode 133, is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. And joining me for this episode of Gators Breakdown is Will Miles. You can find him at readandreaction.com. His article is there. And, Will, we were kind of going to, you know, you've started your quarterback preview, uh, you know, breaking down all the quarterbacks kind of even before uh, Dan Muller went on his speaking tour last week. And, you know, Felipe Frank's name came up. And that's going to be the gist of this episode. But, uh, you know, the, the quarterback position in and of itself at Florida, we know of the years it's been since Florida's had a competent quarterback uh, at the helm, but uh, it, it's a topic that really just won't die down until Florida finds one. <laughs> oh man, is that is that is that the is that the truth? But uh, you know, I've had plenty of people yell at me about the stats and you know calling me a stat nerd and that the stats don't tell the whole story. So this series is really an attempt to look at the film and say what does the film, either in high school or what they've put on tape at college, say about their strengths and their weaknesses. And quite honestly, you guys can make your own call based on what you see from these studies. So each one shows the positives and the negatives for each quarterback. And, uh, you know, obviously I have my biases. And so those probably come out in some of the articles as well. But, uh, you know, we're going to keep doing that once a week on the site. So you'll you'll get one next week for Emory Jones and the week after that, probably Kyle Trask and and then Jake Allen and even Jalen Jackson preview those guys and just sort of show you, um, you know, what the guys on Florida's roster have. All right, then. Like as I said, you can find Will on readreaction.com, our partnership site uh, with Gators Breakdown, and you can find Will on Twitter at WillMilesSCC. And Will, before we dive into Felipe Franks and you know all the good stuff Dan Mullen um, kind of brought out uh, last week during his speaking tour, but it, that speaking tour, you know, it gained some uh, popularity with Dan Mullen and the fans last week. Was there anything you took away from his three stops? You know, Jacksonville, Orlando, Tampa. You know, a lot of news came out last week um, with, with Dan Mullen uh, and, and discussing uh, with the media beforehand uh, at, at those sites. And then he took questions from the, the fans uh, as well. And I was like I said, I was there uh, last Monday night when it was here in Jacksonville. Was there anything that caught your eye or ear last week uh, when, when, when Dan Mullen uh, talked to everyone? Yeah, you know, he's certainly not shying away from expectations. I think that's sort of the thing that that jumps to jumps to the forefront for me is he's he's talking championships and he's talking championships quickly and he's talking about, you know, winning games and he's talking about all those things Florida fans care about. Now, you know, that's great before the season starts when you haven't played a game. And when you're when you're coming off a four and seven season, um, it's a little bit harder when you've set those expectations if you start out a season one <laughs> and two or something like that. So, um, you know, the nice part is is that he's got kind of an easy uh, or he gets to ease his way into the 2018 season, which will help that a little bit as well. But uh, you know, at the end of the day, you can say what you want. Um, you know, the games that matter against Tennessee, Florida State, and Georgia are going to determine the season, and and that's what I'm really interested in. But you know. For all of the things that we criticized about McIlwain, I think Mullen is really the polar opposite. There's a lot of energy. There's a lot of intensity. Um, and he's going to expect that from his players. And so to me, the expectations of what I'm taking away is that he expects to win. And you figure he's going to have to hold his players accountable to do that. Yeah, I was on Bill King's show this Tuesday morning. Uh, and 
He asked me kind of the differences of going into the first spring between McElwain and Mullen. Uh, and I said, first of all, for McElwain, it was, you know, just to get this, it was the stench of getting the stench off of no offense under Muschamp. And we were basically just excited because we had a coach that was coming from Alabama, had some SEC experience that turned around the Colorado State program. But now I think under Mullen, while those expect, you know, and I, and I even said it's revisionist history uh, with McElwain because it just didn't really work out. And we find ourselves probably a little more excited for Mullen. But I also think that can lend itself to, look, Mullen has done this before at Florida. And while Urban Meyer was the head coach, he was still an integral part of the offense uh, with Tim Tebow, Percy Harvin, and getting those playmakers the ball and showing just how good the Florida offense can be. So I think fans are a little more excited with Mullen because of he's been around the program, he knows the expectations, and we've seen him up close have some success with this Florida Gator team. Yeah, I mean, I think McIlwain was was a relative unknown. Certainly, he'd been with he'd been with Saban in Alabama. He'd had some success at Colorado State, but Colorado State isn't Florida, and and to be honest, Colorado State isn't Mississippi State. And so, I think a lot of the enthusiasm for Mullen comes from the fact that he's at least gone toe to toe with the big boys in the SEC West, and and has come out on top on a you know not a very regular basis, but has come out on top more than most Mississippi states have come out on Mississippi State coaches have come out on top. So, I think the track record's a little bit better. I think the fact that. He's had success at Florida. I think that really plays into his favor. He can say, hey, I've done it. Hey, I've done it. Hey, I've done it. And that's going to carry him through the first year, really, is just to be able to say, hey, I've done it. Hey, we went through this with Urban. Um, remember when we had those struggles that first year with Urban? We're going to turn it around. So he's got a narrative to spin this whole first year. Um you know, it, it'll be interesting to see how quickly the fan base – I mean, a lot of people respond to the positivity. Um, you know, I, I've been sort of apathetic to it. I haven't – you know, I've heard I've heard his spiel. That's great. Now it's time to get out on the field and see what actually happens. Absolutely. And remember, you can find all your Gators Breakdown episodes on newsforjacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. So that's new. Uh, we uh, have uh, dropped the, the website now. So newsforjacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. You can find all the episodes there and Gator football related articles uh, from News for Jacks. And you can still find the Gators Breakdown episodes on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, whichever way you prefer. Also follow Gators Breakdown on Twitter and on Facebook at Gators Breakdown. When you're on iTunes, Google Play, wherever you at, please rate, review the show. Let Gator Nation know what they're getting with Gators Breakdown. We mentioned the spring tour last week and, and quarterback talk was not lacking. Uh, while all the quarterbacks uh, will have a clean slate under head coach Dan Mullen, there's only one on the Florida roster that has the experience of starting behind center. That's Felipe Franks, and he looks to turn around his career with the arrival of Mullen to Gainesville. He'll have every opportunity to prove he can be the quarterback fans have been longing for. Many fans, of course, want to see true freshman Emory Jones win the quarterback battle. But, you know, when Mullen was asked about the quarterback position last week, Franks was really the only quarterback that Mullen singled out. Uh, and I don't think that automatically means Franks will be the starter, but I do think it means – uh, more uh, Mullins kind of letting fans know not to forget about this guy. He's doing things off the field in preparation uh, to still be the guy at quarterback. So, well, you know, it, it was interesting bringing up uh, and every stop he went to, Dan Mullen got asked about quarterbacks. And, you know, he, he's going to because that's pretty much what he was brought here to fix at Florida. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I did think it was, hey, look, do not forget about this guy who was the starter last year. Everybody, everybody right now is on a clean slate. Yeah, I mean, it's really easy to dismiss someone who's played poorly. And and you do that at your own peril when you look at somebody who was pulled in and out of games, somebody whose game plan, the game plans really weren't designed around him. Um, you know, there were things that just, like the play clock winding down, the, the snap count that we talked about a number of times where it was always on one, an offensive line that had trouble getting pushed. I mean, there were a lot of things working against a redshirt freshman quarterback being in there. Now, none of that excuses the level of play, and the level of play was unacceptable for a Florida quarterback. And I think Franks would admit that. But, you know, he, he also really, I mean, when the, when the coaching staff was throwing him under the bus, he didn't complain about it. He went out and he faced the media and he was a man about it. And you got to, you got to respect that. I mean, anybody who's 
18, 19, 20 years old and faces the music after they don't play well when the coach isn't willing to face the music or at least is will is going to deflect blame. Um, you know, you got you got to respect that. I, I got to be honest with you. I think that says something about Franks and his ability to lead and his ability to lead the team is that when things get rough, he's not going to start pointing at Mullen. He's not going to say, oh, well, the previous coaching staff wouldn't have done this. He's just going to say, hey, it's on me and I'm going to make it work. Yeah. And the main statement that Mullen made last week, and it was here in Jacksonville, um, it was, quote, I don't see why not. I've got to see once he gets on the field, but he had a great attitude of what I look for in a quarterback, which is a guy that's going to which is a guy that's going to compete and set a standard very high for everybody. I watched Felipe Franks throw the ball 75 yards against Tennessee. The last quarterback I saw that could throw the ball that far was Cam Newton. The last quarterback I coached that had arm talent, uh, that had that arm talent was Cam Newton in the quote. So now it really should be stressed that Mullen was only comparing arm talent uh, when comparing Newton uh, and Franks and, and nothing else. In no way, shape, or form is, is Mullen saying Franks is going to be the next Cam Newton or, or, or anything like that. But you know he did mention, Will, and the things that you kind of said, the great attitude and what he looked for in a quarterback. And, you know, look, he's even he, – Mullen – and he's haven't had a lot of time with these players yet. And, you know, it's kind of been limited interaction. And, of course, that's going to get ramped up next week when spring practice starts. But, you know, for Mullen to already kind of notice, you know, while these workouts are going on, and you just saw the, the highlights last week posted uh, of the basketball tournament that they have for the players. And it was a, a way of doing some um, – you know, strength training and 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 all the like, and off field workouts and stamina building and all that. You know, they had a basketball tournament and there there was highlights and you saw Felipe Frank's athleticism on the basketball court. And you know, we'll we'll see if that translate any in any way to Dan Mullen's offense. But you know that that quote uh, of the great attitude, what he looks for in a quarterback, and then comparing his arm talent to Cam Newton. You know, it, it was a a signal. Uh, that Felipe Franks is going to be a, an important part in this when the spring practice rolls around for Dan Mullen. Yeah, you can see it on tape when you watch Franks. If you look at him, and I pointed this out in the article that posted this week, he's making NFL quality throws. The problem is, is that he's not very accurate a lot of the other time. And, that, and that's where the comparison to Newton breaks down. So Newton completed 62.4% of his passes his junior year in high school. That was the only that was the only high school information I could find on Newton. Franks completed 58.1% his junior year and 58.9% his senior year. So three to four percent less on a completion percentage basis. Newton jumped up to 66.1% when he was playing at Auburn and Franks was down around 54% last year for Florida. So, um, you know, from an accuracy standpoint, I think that's where it breaks down. Now, a lot of that I think is coaching. A lot of that is just not having the right routes, not the right system. Franks is comfortable throwing deep. He's comfortable throwing outside. He was not comfortable throwing over the middle. And you could see that he was not comfortable throwing those little swing passes to the running backs, those little screens that, that, mm. that McElwain and Nussmeyer wanted to throw. Those were always off the guy's hip. There were a couple of plays where, you know, he had Mark Thompson open and he was sort of behind him and he fell and didn't score. And, you know, there were all sorts of different plays like that where you could see that the accuracy had some issues. Um, you know, I don't know that it's necessarily tied to footwork. I think, you know, sometimes just you throw into traffic and you're going to be inaccurate. So um, I do think that comparison breaks down. I think anyone expecting him to be Cam Newton from, from a uh, throwing perspective in that year in Auburn, I mean, Newton had a quarterback rating up around 180. I don't think, I don't think that's a reasonable expectation for really anybody, but I definitely don't think it's, it's reasonable for Franks. I actually think the good comp for Franks is probably Dak Prescott. So Prescott's first year, he got thrown into action at Mississippi state relatively you know, relatively mm -hmm. unseasoned. It wasn't meant to be that way. He completed 58.4% of his passes and had a QB rating of 126.6. So last year, Franks completed 54.6 and had a QB rating of 113.3. So Prescott went from 58 to 62% in his second year under Mullen. He averaged 1.4 more yards per attempt and his QB rating went up to 151.7. So if Frank saw the same percentage increase that Prescott did from year one to year two, then Franks would go from a QB rating of 113 to a QB rating of 137. And that would have been tied for 59th with Luke Falk from Washington State. So, um, You'd be going from a very from a bottom tier quarterback because Frank was ranked 109th, 110th, and 111th out of 130 when I started looking at the major stats I would look at for a quarterback, and it'd bring him up to 59th. So he'd be middle of the pack, and I think that's probably the ceiling 
for Franks based on the accuracy concerns that I have. Now, that's still a very good quarterback. I mean, 140 is an above average quarterback. You know, it'd be around 24 touchdowns and 12 interceptions. That'd be the best quarterback play <laughs> we've seen since Tim Tebow. So it's not something that people I think should should shake a stick at. But I think people expecting him to be Tebow, expecting him to be Leak, expecting him to be Prescott or expecting him to be Newton are going to be disappointed because I just don't think that's what you're going to see. Um, but I don't know that that's what you need to see. I mean, you know, yeah. we just need to not average 22 points a game. Right. And I think that is the question. It's just, it's just how good can he be? You know, for as bad as he played uh, in the two games that really come to mind that signaled the downward spiral uh, of Felipe Frank's uh, first year as a, as a starter of the LSU and Texas A&M games. You know, he played really poor in those games and Florida still had a chance to win those games. Um, but to me, that, that that is the floor. And those are some terrible games for him. Uh, as he went, you know, ten of sixteen for only 108 yards. Couldn't anything, couldn't get anything going in that last drive of the game versus LSU uh, versus A&M. He was 18 of 27 for only 135 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions in that game. He had that huge 79-yard run. Uh, but you look at those passing numbers, and that just shows uh, there was no pushing the ball down the field. Uh, and don't get me wrong, I know he had you know, more bad play pretty much the rest of the season in those two games against Georgia and FSU. But, you know, those were loss causes uh, after fake death threats and the eventual firing of McElwain. And, uh, but, you know, it was those two games. You know, and by the time they got to FSU, you know, it was pretty much a, a loss season at that point. And uh, I'm not going to hold, you know, too much. I mean, we had seen some bad play. It just continued to be to, 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 to continue that way. Uh, but I'm not going to hold, you know, Georgia FSU games too much more against him than I am the LSU uh, A&M games with Florida was still kind of in the thick of things. Um, but, you know, those two games made it pretty clear. Was it just going to happen with Franks uh, under, under McElwain and Nussmeyer? Um, there were times uh, last year Nussmeyer couldn't get the plays in in time, and that led to Franks having to, to rush the play call and the snap. We know the play calling was atrocious. Did very little to put Franks uh, in the best position to succeed. We knew he had trouble scanning the field in a pro-style system where most of the reads come post-snap and and knowing coverages and knowing what your wide receivers uh, had to do in those coverages uh, with adjusting routes. He had problems with that. But there, there really did look like there wasn't anything there from the coaching staff to adapt and change the offense to help him succeed. Too many slow developing plays where offensive line couldn't hold blocks Play actions are our favorite. Play actions on third and long when the defenses knew that well, it was it really an option. The staff did no favors for, for, for him or any of the quarterbacks for that matter. So uh, I think the big question there and one we really don't know the answer to is while the staff didn't do him any favors, how much of the blame is on the staff and how much of it is on Franks? I, I, we, I, and you did, you did a great breakdown of that in your article. So I, I, I just don't know where we go from where, where Mullen goes from, from there and how he changes what the, what the previous staff did. We know it's a completely different offense. You know, there were too many times where he missed seeing wide open wide receivers last year. Many times he looked rushed, panicked, made some terrible decisions, refused to throw the ball out of bounds and in turn taking unnecessary losses on plays. Those are things Dan Mullen's going to have to develop out of, uh, help him develop out of. Does Felipe Franks have enough talent for Dan Mullen to work his magic? Uh, you know, that that's that's the question. And I think one we're going to have to w- wait and see uh, is one of the main reasons Dan Mullen was hired, to get something out of the quarterback position. Can he do it quickly in year one with Felipe Franks? I still think there's a glimmer of hope. And you you and I were talking about this before we came on. You know, if you listen to the podcast for a while, I, and, you know, last season I, I was on the Felipe Franks train. Yeah, you know, it was time to get away from the grad transfers and see what the last staff had in one of their quarterbacks. Well, hopefully I was a year too early. <laughs> so, you know, if I had to guess and make a prediction, I'd say Mullen can turn Franks into something serviceable. I'm not so sure Franks can ever be the great quarterbacks, like you said, like you mentioned, if he'll be a Prescott, if he'll be a Tebow, uh, can he be somewhat similar to a Chris Lee under Mullen's tutelage? You know, we'll see. Uh, he can be much better from what we saw from last year. Uh, and I guess the reason I think that is because of Mullen and his track record. Yeah, so I, mean, I think there's a lot of different things there. The first is, if you go back and you look at the tape against Vanderbilt, which I'll be honest, when I went back and thought about it, I was like, well, I think that Vanderbilt game, when he came in off the bench for Del Rio after Del Rio had, had broken his collarbone, you know, I at that point I thought maybe he'd turn the corner. And when you look at it, he had Tyree Cleveland as a deep threat. 
he was able to take advantage of that. And then he hit Cleveland on the outside for a comeback. And those were the only times Florida threw the ball outside that I could really see in the film that I watched for Vanderbilt and for Texas A&M. And those are the throws he, those are the throws he makes that are really good. Now, it's not a coincidence that Cleveland went down on the com- on the really nice comeback route and uh, and sprained his ankle, and all of a sudden now you don't have a deep threat. This is also where the loss of Antonio Callaway started to come in. No Callaway, no Cleveland. There was no real deep threat. There were a few plays that I diagrammed in the article that talk about from, talk about Josh Hammond and the ball. You know, it was a 50-50 ball with the corner, and the and the corner doesn't or and the receiver doesn't come down with the ball. Well. You know that it, the receiver's not always going to come down with the ball, but if you've got Callaway or you've got Cleveland back there, chances are you you come up with that ball more often. And ostensibly, the talent level is going to be considerably higher this year at the wide receiver position. I know Callaway's gone, but Cleveland's going to be back. You got Jacob Copeland. You got the two transfers coming in, conceivably who could play. The tight end might actually play a role this year in the passing game. So I think there are some things we can look at and say, hey, there's going to be some improvement. The thing I'd be most concerned about is that in the Texas A&M game, he actually played really well until he threw an interception. Mm. So he was 8 of 11 for 77 yards. So he was averaging 7 yards a play, very decisive, went through a few reads. There were plays where they were incomplete passes, but he went through multiple reads. After the interception, he was 10 of 15, so he wasn't... wasn't, uh, It wasn't like he was inaccurate or anything like that, but he only averaged 3.9 yards per attempt. So it was dump offs and dump offs and dump offs. And that was all they were doing. So, you know, now that's not helped by the fact that it's third and 12 um, because you ran it twice and (laughs) and you ran it on second and 13. So, again, is it a chicken or the egg thing? You know, I I don't really know. Um, Again, I think it's too early to give up hope. Um, If you look at guys who were drafted in the first round of the NFL draft who had seasons worse than Felipe Franks in their first main playing time. So this is not a guy who threw 30 passes. Yeah. I had the cutoff at 150 attempts. Um, Kyle Bowler had an 80.8 quarterback rating his first year. Brady Quinn, 93.5. Josh Freeman, 103.5. That's a a surprise one there, Brady Quinn. Well, Brady Quinn, his best quarterback rating was 158.4. So he is is the best-case scenario for what Felipe Franks can eventually become. Now, it took Quinn three or four years to get up to that 158.4, and in year two, he was, I don't know, around 120, something like that. There was a major step forward, but it was not he was not the elite quarterback that he was that senior year at Notre Dame. Um, Jake Locker was at 105. He went up to 130 as his best QB rating. Matthew Stafford was 109. And he went up to 153.5 before he was the number one pick in the draft. So these are not guys who were drafted 27th overall that I'm that I'm cherry picking. I mean, the number one overall pick in the draft had an initial quarterback rating in his first major playing time worse than Felipe Franks. Um, and the talent level around around Stafford was not was better than the talent level around Franks at Georgia. So um, you know, and Rick is seen as as a quarterback guru or has been by some people. And again, Stafford struggled. Um, um, Paxton Lynch, Jay Cutler, and Christian Ponder. Um, so all those guys had uh, had QB ratings lower than uh, than Franks did in their first major playing time, and 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 came out really well and played really well eventually. Um, you know, so you can look at it in bins. I mean, anybody who had less than 120 as their quarterback rating. Um, you know, the average was 105, and the average maximum that those guys achieved was 143. Hmm. So, so there is hope, but again, this is cherry picking the guys who got drafted in the first right. round, yeah. but Frank's has the kind of ability that if he can start putting up those kinds of numbers, he's going to get drafted in the first round. So, you know, Kyle Bowler, to be quite honest, didn't play that well in college. <laughs> I mean, his, his highest quarterback rating was 126.8, which is lower than Austin Appleby a couple of years ago. Um, but Bowler was a first round draft pick because he had the tools. And I think, that's my concern with Franks is that in practice, when no one's getting hit, when you don't hear the ghosts that are coming, when you don't hear footsteps from that defensive end coming around the corner, it's really easy to throw to throw the ball across the middle and make the right reads and go through your progressions. It's really hard when you just got a helmet in your back mm-hmm. to do that. And, and we saw that against Florida State. I mean, you know, the first or second drive, he got a strip sack return for a touchdown. And from then it was just, you know, dump offs and 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 running from guys who maybe even weren't in the backfield and and that's not to say it wasn't justified because there were a lot of Florida State defenders in the backfield but 
you know, that's the sort of things that that you'll have to look for. So um, I get, I think when you look at the when you look at the history of Mullen, I think we can be pretty confident that if Franks is the quarterback, he's going to be significantly better. Um, and then the other thing is hopefully that they've learned from Georgia. So Jake Fromm loves throwing outside. Felipe Franks mm -hmm. loves throwing outside. And if you looked at Georgia last year, and I put this in the breakdown of the Georgia game beforehand, I basically said he's going to throw to his outside receivers. That's where he wants to go, and that's where Georgia's going to attack. And that's exactly what they did. They did it against Alabama, too. And you know, they just said, this is our quarterback strengths. We're going to throw it up and let our wide receivers get it. And at no point last year did Florida do that, where they just said, hey, you know, Franks, throw it up. You know you have one-on-one -on -one coverage. Throw it up in that direction. And, and that was so rare to do. And they wanted him to go through multiple progressions. And at some point, you just got to go make, get your guy to make a play. Yeah, and, and Georgia had a lot of questions at wide receiver going into last year. A lot of people people didn't think they had wide receivers that can make plays. And you're right. They, they were from trusted his guys and used his arm strength to get the ball to the outside and let those guys make plays. So. Well, and you don't want a quarterback reading reading. You don't want him making difficult reads over the middle. Yeah. You want him keeping the ball to the outside, especially if he's got the kind of arm to where he can get it out there. Now, you know, if he shows the ability to make reads over the middle, and by the end of the year, Fromm was showing that, so he could keep a defense honest. By the time that Alabama game came around, by coming come by hitting guys coming over the middle, um, you know zone defenses will throw those kinds of guys for a loop a lot of times. And you saw that with Franks, mm -hmm. the linebackers would spook him on slant routes and different things like that. And he'd hold onto the ball and take a sack. Um, when a linebacker was sort of in his field of view when he was supposed to make a throw over the middle. Um, and, and so I think, um, I think there's some coaching to be involved there, but I think there's also just getting the guy comfortable throwing it outside and then bringing the inside concepts in as you go, rather than, rather than starting with the whole offense and then, you know, letting somebody flounder. Yeah. Uh, Thomas Goldcamp put a tweet out last week, um, and uh, I saved it for this because it, it really hit the nail on the head here, and it was, quote, I see Dan Mullen's offense as an offense that makes life easy on the quarterback. I saw Michael Wayne's offense as an offense that the quarterback was supposed to make life easy on everyone else. And I thought he put that perfectly because look, Mac McElwain's offense can work if he if if that's all he's asked to concentrate on. He has a cerebral quarterback and put you know you could put a lot of talent uh, around that quarterback. Uh, that's what we saw at Alabama. He had a cerebral, smart quarterback at Colorado State, and the offense looked you know pretty functional uh, given that the relative you know uh, competition that they that they played put a good offense on the field. You know that's but. And that's a lot of parameters for a pretty complicated offense. Uh, and as I stated earlier, the offense asked the the quarterback, you know, to to read and scan post snap. In Mullen's offense, a lot of the reads are pre snap. Uh, at times, spread the formation out to where defense shows its coverage, makes make the read easier for the quarterback. Help your quarterback by getting the ball to the playmakers. As we've seen in the past, that wasn't always the case here at Florida uh, with previous staff. So. Play the numbers game in the box. If there's going to be more blockers uh, than defenders, Mullen will run the ball. Defenders start keeping up. You'll see easy passes to the outside, passes down the field, play action passes that lead to big plays. It's all there. Using the pass to set up the run, and then that game starts all over again. You know, Mullen plays the numbers game pretty, probably pretty much better than, than any offensive coordinator head coach uh, out there. Uh, this offense, it, it's it's a simpler offense for a quarterback as raw as Felipe Franks. There are a lot of plays to make it easier on uh, on the quarterback. Plays with easy reads, easy throws, easy throws and screen passes, easy throws to running backs out of the backfield. Now, Franks isn't as mobile, per se, uh, as you would like uh, the prototypical Dan Mullen quarterback to be, but I think he's mobile enough. I think he's mobile enough to let Mullen run his offense, let the quarterback be that extra guy to where the numbers game plays out best. All those features in this offense is why I think something can be done to help a quarterback like Felipe Franks. Well, I don't know how much help he's actually going to need because Michigan says the Florida's offenses have been explosive the last three years. Dave. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I got to say, I mean, if Michigan says it, it must be true because uh, Claire, you know, Claribel wrote that. <laughs> I think McElwain wrote that, man. I, I don't know what's going on there, but all I know is Gator Twitter's had some fun with that today. But, <laughs> you know, I, I think I think it boils down to play calling. 
And and the biggest complaint everybody had with Nussmeyer was play calling, was the second and 14s, the third and 12 play actions, all that sort of stuff. And when you go back and look at his record, the quarterback rating for his quarterback at Fresno State before he came was 141. It dropped to 129 with him in charge. A.J. McCarron went from 147 to 175, and that's really the feather in his cap. But McCarron has like 67% was his completion percentage. He is the exact guy that Nussmeyer wants for his offense. He can make the pa- every pass. He's going to make those reads. That completion percentage indicates that he's capable of executing that sort of complex offense. You go to Michigan, Devin Gardner went from 146 to 119. You go to Florida, Treon Harris, who everybody has a bad taste in their mouth, but had a 146 QB rating and 111 attempts when he was with Muschamp, went down to 118 afterwards. So even with that huge jump with McCarron, overall, the quarterbacks went from 145 to 135 from a QB rating perspective. I think there's probably a 20 or 30 point jump just in getting rid of Nussmeyer <laughs> as the offensive coordinator from the standpoint of the play calling. It was so obvious. Brandon Powell, um, you know, David Wonderlich did a wonderful job of breaking down the, the propensity of Florida to target Brandon Powell on third and fourth downs. I mean, yeah. he was being circled on the broadcast by guys saying, this is where the ball's going. As I was breaking down the A&M tape, they were circling him and saying, this is where the ball's going. And sure enough, it did. There were a few times where Franks actually threw him open where, you know, the, the play call was perfect, but everybody knew where it was going. And, uh, you know, so I, I do think that the offensive coordinator is is a big deal in this case. Mullen's going to be calling his own plays, certainly has a track record at Florida, very, very different than Nussmeyer. And, uh, and I think that's where we're going to see a big difference. Yeah, well, and – those quarterbacks you named a while ago, you know, the first round picks and, you know, how they improved throughout their career. You know, they had a, a pretty terrible first year, uh, but went on and to, to make a name for themselves. You know, I'm pretty sure most of those had the same, at least head coach throughout that, you know, tenure there uh, that they did. I don't know about, you know, if they've changed offensive coordinators after a bad year and then that offensive coordinator changed things to, to make it better for them. Uh, but, you know, I, want, I wanted to go back and look at, you know, what happened with Chris Leak from 2004 to 2005 when he went from Ron Zook and a pretty successful offense uh, at, at the time. And then Dan Mullen and Urban Meyer come in and the offense did kind of, you know, it did, if you were using rankings uh, and numbers, it did fall. Uh, a good bit uh, in some categories, but you know, in 2004, Leak was 238 of, three thir- of 399, uh, 59.6% uh, completion percentage, threw for 3,197 yards, eight yards attempt, 29 touchdowns, and 12 interceptions. In 2005, he was 235 out of 374, raised his completion percentage about 3.62.8. Uh, but you know, only threw for about he threw about for about 800 yards less, uh, at seven seven point one yards per attempt, nine less touchdowns, but six less interceptions. So he took care of the ball more. But in 2004, Florida had the 20th ranked offense by using yards per game at 427 yards a game. Uh, in 2005, Mullen Myers' first year fell all the way down to the 59th ranked offense. So it went from 20th to 59th. And then using yards per game, went from 427 to 373. Uh, the passing offense in 2004 was a 14th ranked passing offense at 271 yards a game in 2004. 2005 fell all the way to 53rd with 226 yards per game. So about, uh, you know, about, you know, that's a pretty good, Fall from 271 yards a game in 2004 to 226 in 2005. Uh, so the rushing offense that kind of surprised me, it was 57th in 2004 with 156 yards a game. And almost the same in 2005, it was ranked 55th uh, with 146 yards a game. So yeah, I then went to points per game. Uh, 2004, Florida was ranked 19th. Um, and uh, yeah, 19th uh, points per game, and then fell all the way to 46th in offense uh, points per game in 2005. So it went from 19th to 46th ranking there. So there was a fall from going from Ron Zook to Urban Meyer and Dan Mullen. Look, it, it's going to take some time. I, I don't expect a big first year turnaround uh, when Mullen comes in. Now, uh, you, you could say 
the offense was pretty good under uh, under Ron Zutton, the offensive coordinators there, uh, when they eventually got fired in, in 2004. Uh, so, you know, the, the offense could fall here, taking over from McElwain. It really only has a chance to go up. So if you tell Florida fans right now, they're going to have the 59th ranked offense like they had in 2005 and, you know, 40 and the 46th ranked offense in points per game. Well, I think we'll take that right now. Well, and, and Ron Zook didn't get fired because of offense. Right. He got fired because he lost to Tennessee 30 to 28. He lost to LSU 24 to 21. He lost to Mississippi State 38 to 31. He lost to Georgia 31 to 24. That's why he got fired because he was losing one score games. And so if you go to 2005, well, now all of a sudden Florida started to win some of those. So 16 to 7 over, over Tennessee, uh, 14 to 10 over Georgia, 49 to 42 over Vanderbilt, 31 to 24 over Iowa. So you know, all of a sudden those close games started going Florida's way and had not gone gone their way at all under Zook for any of his tenure. And to be honest, nobody will probably like me for saying this, but Florida got lucky to win the national championship in 2006. I mean, 21 to 20 over Tennessee. I mean, I remember that game and thinking the entire time they'd have been outplayed. Um, they lost at Auburn 17 to 27, um, sort of on the play where Leak fumbled Fumble. that I still think was an incomplete pass. It was. Again, it was. It was. Vanderbilt 25 to 19, Georgia 21 to 14, South Carolina on the Moss blocked kick 17 to 16, Florida State 21 to 14. And it wasn't until against Arkansas and then Ohio State that the offense really started to kick in. Now, obviously, um, at some point along there, they made some adjustments. They brought they brought in fullbacks to 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 make plays. They hadn't necessarily done the spread offense before, but um, you know this was not an offensive juggernaut in 2006 because the personnel didn't fit what they wanted to do. And in 2007, the personnel fit exactly what they wanted to do on offense, and they couldn't be stopped. But of course, they couldn't stop anybody that year either. And so, <laughs> so they wound up not wound up going to the Outback Bowl against Michigan that year. So. Um, you know, my point is, is that really the record this year. So the record won't be four and seven. I, I don't think anybody believes the record will be four and seven. If it is, we're going to be having a very, very different conversation by the end of the year. And Mullen will not be having as much fun on his publicity tour. But I don't think they're going to go four and seven this year. I think they're going to be much improved. But I think how much improved they are is going to be more on Mullen's coaching ability. It's going to be winning those close games, taking risks on third and fourth down. All the things that I thought McElwain actually did a pretty good job of. The problem is he didn't bring enough talent in, and this year sort of the, the ceiling fell in. But um, but I think that's what people should look for is what is his record in close games this year because that's going to be indicative of being able to pull out those one or two games in seasons where you do have a championship-level talent to be able to pull those games out. And, you know, I actually think one of the better one of the better Florida teams in the last decade was that 2012 team. Mm -hmm. And that team lost to Georgia late in a close game with just like five or six turnovers. Jordan Reed fumbled the ball out of the end zone at the end. Um, you know, but I think that was one of the better teams Florida, Florida's had. And again, though, it was those close games and, and must and must champs struggled there as well. So um so yeah, I mean I, I don't think the I don't think the cupboard was bare. I think it's Leak did not fit at all what Mullen and Meyer wanted to do. Um, he, he's a very good player, but he didn't fit. He was That wasn't what he wanted to do. It wasn't what they wanted to do. Um, Franks, I think, fits a little bit better, but Emory Jones definitely fits. And so, you know, we'll, we'll see who wins that job based on what they're, uh, you know, based on what Mullen and, 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 and those guys want to do. Yeah, and, and the quarterback that I, I kind of wanted to go back to and look at at Mississippi State was Tyler Russell um, in, in the year of 2012. Uh, it was more, it was known more as the passing offense under Dan Mullen uh, at Mississippi State. And he was 231 for 394, um, 2,897 yards, so almost 2,900 yards, a 58.6 completion percentage, uh, 7.4 yards in attempt. But that year, Mississippi State overall had the 76th ranked offense that year at 381 yards a game. But they did have the 46th ranked passing offense, 241 yards a game. But here's the thing. You can tell how much the quarterback running has uh, has instilled into Dan Mullen's offense. There were the, with Tyler Russell not being a running threat at all, 
that whole offense ranked 83rd in the nation in rushing offense at 139.8 yards a game. Um, and they had the 60 rate, 68th ranked offense using points per game that year in 2012. So, you know, Franks probably compares more to Russell than to any of the other Mississippi State quarterbacks, as they're both known to be more passers than runners. Uh, maybe Dak Prescott a, a little bit, but I don't see I, I don't see Franks as that mobile. So I think he compares a little more to Tyler Russell than he does Dak Prescott, but he does have more more mobility than than Tyler Russell. Um, and I, I think you can see in these stats, Mullen's offense definitely does falter a bit when there isn't a, a threat of a running quarterback. Uh, now, like I said, I'm in the belief that Franks can use his mobility and isn't a statue. It doesn't have to be a statue. Just move and run enough to keep defenses honest. He doesn't have to be the battering ram that we saw Tim Tebow have, have yeah. to be. Yeah, it's interesting when you look at Russell's stats, his all of his stats are pretty much exactly what I predicted Franks would be if he saw the same percentage increase Prescott did from year one to year two. So I think I said Franks would have a QB rating around 137. Russell's was 135.4. Um, I said 24 touchdowns and 12 interceptions for Franks. It's 24 and 10 for, for Russell. <laughs> so basically, that's who we're probably getting this year yeah. if Frank starts is Tyler Russell. That's why and I had to go back and look at it because I really think, you know, but I think he is a little more mobile. But if the, those stats actually would work well, those passing stats I think would work well with Felipe Franks if we can get a little bit more, a little bit more, built, more you know, running design run plays out of him. Yeah. Now, the interesting thing is I look at the explosion of an offense looking at yards per play because I am under the firm belief that if you are getting chunk yardage, that turns into long touchdowns. And if you're averaging three yards a play, then then it doesn't. you're not going to be able to three yard in a cloud of dust your way down the field, not in today's college football. And if you look at from 2009 to 2013, Every or no, only one year in 2010 did the points per game ranking for one of Mullen's offenses outrank his yards per play. So what that indicates is he was getting it into the red zone more often than he was converting is what it really says is that, hey, he's 59th in yards or he's sorry, he's 47th in yards per play. This was in 2012, 68th in points per game. So having Russell back there and not having him be able to run cost them points. And you get into the Prescott era and all of a sudden that flips. And so all of a sudden, you know, you're looking at 16th in points per game, 16th in yards per play, 43rd in points per game, 35th in yards per play. So the explosion was also coming with red zone efficiency. And I think you can see that in terms of the quarterback rushing. So Prescott in 2013 had 13 touchdowns, 14 in 2014, 10 in 2015, 16 for Nick, Nick Fitzgerald in 2016, and 14 for Nick, Nick Fitzgerald in 2017. So I think what Mullen found is that having that running quarterback in the red zone makes his offenses far more explosive. It's not a coincidence that that really starts to coincide with when Mullen started to call the plays that those numbers started to tick up. And, you know, all of a sudden the offense not only got better from a points per game perspective, but kept pretty similar numbers in terms of explosiveness. And all of a sudden Mississippi State is winning more games. So I think that's probably what we're going to see a lot of this year is if Franks is the quarterback, there's going to be another option in the red zone and they're going to run him a lot and they're going to run him in there just like they did with Tebow in 2006 and have that alternate quarterback who's, who's back there. I know we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, um, the belldozer from Oklahoma and that, and that, um, and the Trask might be able to fill that role. Um, but to me, that's the key is having the quarterback in the red zone to run, even if you're going to have the guy who predominantly throws from 20 to 20. Well, there's got to be a there's got to be a threat of the quarterback to run when you spread that de that opposing defense out. So you know you you make it a lot easier for that quarterback to find a running lane, especially in the red zone. We found we have seen Mullen likes to spread that opposing defense out. So you have that quarterback that can run when the defense is already spread out. You find the uh, finds a running lane, and I think that's where you get a lot of your your big yardage where you get you know a first and goal really really short, or they run in for a touchdown. Well, and you saw that a lot with Percy Harvin back back in back in the early 2000s. What they would do is they would they would basically bring him over and put him in to take the snap, yeah. and they would and they would motion leak out wide, and then Harvin would get the snap. Now you got to have somebody go with leak because you can't just leave him uncovered. Uh, maybe maybe you could, I don't know, <laughs> but you can't just leave him uncovered. You bring Harvin back there, and all of a sudden everything's spread out, and you have that opportunity. And that's what they did before 
you know, they didn't do it with Harvin, obviously, but that's what they did before they had Tebow. And and you see that over and over and over again. With Tebow, they would spread it out, and then the linebacker for the defense had to spy Tebow, yeah. and it left him one-on-one on the outside. And so they threw a lot in the red zone because of that. They would send guys on slants. They'd have one-on-one. You win the slant, you and you score the touchdown. Um, so I actually think this is the place where Kadarius Tony really starts to play a role. So I know I want Tony to be the starting quarterback. That hasn't changed, actually, after the film studies that I've done. I still think he's the best option for multiple reasons. But I understand that that's not what they're going to do. And I get why they wouldn't do it, because let's be honest, his NFL future is at wide receiver. But I think in the red zone, having Tony back there in that role gives you that running threat. But he also has enough of an ability to throw the ball that I think you'll be able to keep people honest. And so that's where I would that's where I would really implement him as a weapon if you're uh, you know if that's what you're looking for because that's what Mullen wants to do in the red zone. He wants to spread people out. He actually condenses things when you're in the middle of the field because he wants to get his guys to the outside. Now so there are some things that he does where he spreads out wide receivers to get to get yeah. looks to get looks for the quarterback that are simpler and stuff like that but really if you look at the film from when he was at Florida his whole goal was really to condense the field to get guys to the outside and you know if they had guys out wide they were throwing bubble screens to him to get the ball outside that was his goal but once he got in the red zone it was spread it out and then the quarterback can run so um, I expect to see that regardless of who the quarterback is it'll be interesting to see whether they use Franks to execute that or whether they motion him out wide and bring in a wide receiver to do it well, it's funny because we didn't really talk about I – didn't, I didn't really send much notes about this episode. We were really going to talk about Felipe Franks, but I was going to talk about Kadarius Tony at wide receiver and kind of, you know, breaking down that position. Just, you know, we'll break down wide receivers coming up, you know, with spring and all that good stuff. But, you know, you explained what Kadarius Tony, Kadarius Tony could do at the wide receiver position in, in, in that similar Percy role uh, that, that we've seen. And, you know, I think, you know, we'll see him in the Wildcat. We'll see a lot of those uh, same plays I think we saw Percy Harvin have uh, under Dan Mullen. But, you know, the wide receiver, wide receiver position as a whole with Kadarius Tony, add in hopefully Van Jefferson and, and Trayvon Grimes. And that's, you know, Tony was injured a good bit last year. Uh, but, you know, there's three playmakers you'd think you could pair up uh, with Tyree Cleveland. And, you know, all of a sudden, this wide receiver position, in, in, in it, we have said this even under McElwain the last couple of years, is it's a position uh, that is getting better. Didn't really live up to the expectation last year, but I, I'm not so sure I'm going to put a lot of that on them. Uh, I think, you know, just the off- bad offense just in general, and that's why McElwain is no longer here. I still think it's a position of strength for the Gators and even more of a strength now with, with Kadarius Tony, and hopefully he's healthy and Ben Jefferson and Trayvon Grimes. Hopefully they can play. Yeah, uh, and, and Tyree Cleveland uh, can stay healthy and with the big play threat that he is, you know, throw the ball up and let him come, go up and come down with it. Uh, but whoever the quarterback is, you know, if it is Felipe Franks, they're going to have a, uh, they're going to have a, a group of receivers. I really think they can count on and for Mullen to use in a multitude of ways. You know, I think the jury's still out on that. I, I think I think Tyree Cleveland has all the ability in the world. He struggled to stay healthy, and he's made a few big plays. And they, they're <laughs> plays that we all remember. I mean, the play against LSU and the play two years ago and the play against Tennessee last year. But that's not been a consistent thing throughout the year. Um, you look at somebody like Van Jefferson, he's probably the most consistent player on, an, on from a wide receiver perspective that Florida has. And his that's, stats were basically Brandon Powell. Yeah, well, and so you've lost Powell now, and and, and so I, I think just like at the quarterback position, there's a lot to be proven. I I hear a lot of people talk about the talent level at wide receiver, but I didn't see any wide receivers except for Tony breaking tackles, making guys miss, turning five yard gains into fifteen yard gains, um, any of those sorts of things. And so um, you know, until I see that, what am I supposed to say? I mean, yeah, you were highly ranked coming out of high school. That's what we got. So I think there's a lot um, of thought that the quarterback position holds those guys back. Yeah, but I mean, you know, you throw a bubble screen, you got to make somebody miss every once in a while. There were some plays in the in the in the film breakdown of Franks where the ball hit the wide receiver in the hands, and it's like, yeah, you're not going to come down with that every time, but you got to come down with it sometimes. And so, you know, the fact that there just weren't any two yard passes that went a hundred, and yeah. there weren't any, you know. Like separation down the field is very different than just taking something where they get you the ball in space and taking it to the house. And we didn't have 
anybody last year who, except for Tony, who, when he got the ball out in space with four or five defenders around, that you thought he had the ability to take it all the way. And hopefully that's been rectified. Hopefully Grimes is one of those guys. Hopefully Copeland's one of those guys. Hopefully Jefferson is one of those guys. And hopefully some of these guys who've been around for a few years really see some development and improvement in their games. And hopefully the offense helps facilitate that a little bit better. But I'm not ready to say that 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 this is a really, really deep um, – a really, really deep wide receiver unit. I think there's a lot of untapped potential, but you know, potential doesn't matter until it actually produces, and so we're going to have to see. Yeah, I think the guy will kind of watch out for it, only because you did, you go back and look at some of the film film with Mullen. You know, those wide receivers that block. You know, Riley Cooper was probably one of the best blocking wide receivers you know Florida's ever had, but Freddie Swain really was kind of that guy under Jim McElwain, especially last year. He was a, a receiver that did a lot of nice blocks from the wide receiver position. So I think as much as Dale Mullen likes his wide receivers to block and as much as they have to block in this offense, I think he's going to be a receiver uh, that can be counted on moving forward that we haven't seen too much from under the last staff. Well, it's interesting you'd say that. I mean, both both Swain and Hammond are pretty good blockers. They're both pretty they're both pretty big receivers, really, when you look at it. And I think they might have some trouble getting on the field yeah. with, some, with some of the talent that's been brought in, specifically that's been handpicked by Mullen. I almost wonder whether you bring Swain in as like an H-back. Because if you can trust him to block, bring him in in sort of those those little toss, you know, the little pitches that Aaron Hernandez used to mm-hmm. run all the time and use that. Because he's he's big and he's fast, and if he can block, then he's not a liability in some running plays on the outside there. Um, and that might be an, op- an opportunity to really sort of showcase some of those abilities, um, you know, having him be a slot receiver who can come in and block. So sort of, you know, Hernandez was a bigger player, obviously, and probably a better blocker at the point of attack. But I would guess Swain would be a better route runner on the out, you know, from the slot at least for uh, from a speed perspective. And so, you know, could you could you form a hybrid role that maybe takes advantage of that? Maybe that would be an interesting thing for me to see. I, I yeah, we saw Trey we saw Trey Burton in that role a little bit too. Take that you know that type, that type of pass, that sure. shovel, shovel pass. So yeah, you're right. But I mean, again, Justin Watkins is going to spend some time in the mm-hmm. backfield. Um, Copeland, I think, is going to get some opportunities. I, you know. Everybody starts with a blank slate, which uh, is somewhat true. But I think the guys who are new, who who have built relationships with Mullen, are going to probably they they probably start as option one, and and some of these other guys start as option one A coming in, just because that's sort of the nature of the beast. And uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see how it develops. I mean, I think obviously more competition is better. It's going to raise the level of play, and the guys who the guys who are in there are the guys who win the competition. And talking about receivers, we'll get your pick your brain here about this uh, Antonio Callaway taking blame for Jim McElwain getting fired. Um, I mentioned when we talked Felipe Franks, you know, in the close games between LSU and A&M, and, you know, it was a player like Callaway uh, enough to make one play to be LSU, to make one play to be A&M. And if he's on the field and he makes those two plays, is Jim McElwain still head coach at Florida? Yeah, of course, just like Antonio Callaway uh, sees it that way. Uh, but you know what? It, going back and looking at it, and hey, look, this could have been a, a blessing in disguise when those guys got suspended, and now we have Dan Mullen in Gainesville instead of Jim McElwain. I was going to say, here's, here's to Callaway. Um, <laughs> no, Thank you. I, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's interesting because when he was suspended for the Michigan game, I remember you asking me whether I thought it would make a difference. And basically what I said was I thought it was a gravitational thing, that you got to put two people on Callaway, which means you got one person on Cleveland. And, and and that's true. I mean, and then when Cleveland went down, well, now you can put two people on Hammond or Swain. And, and so really that that – Yes, they're all four stars, but there's a difference between Antonio Callaway and, and some of those other guys. I mean, you know, he just ran a 4-4 at the Combine and, and all that stuff. I mean, he's a talented player. Um, at the same time, you know, he's, he's proven to be a little bit of a knucklehead when it comes to behaving on, off the field and, and, and maybe even worse than that based on some of the allegations. And, and uh, you know, so is he responsible for McElwain getting fired? Probably in some capacity, but I, I I still say that the the blame lies with the play calling, and 
and Nussmeyer was the play caller. And I think if you really want to look at why McIlwain didn't last past his third year, beyond all the extracurricular stuff where he didn't get along with anybody, um, his loyalty to Nussmeyer is what cost him the job. Because if he'd have, if he'd have changed out offensive coordinators and there was, just wasn't the frustration within the fan base in that third year at seeing the exact same thing, um, you know, it was Groundhog Day, year three. I mean, we saw that game in game against Michigan. We saw the game against Tennessee where the ball didn't move very much. You saw the games against AM and LSU. I mean, I think even if you win those games by a field goal, I'm not sure anybody feels good about the fourth year you got coming back. It just means you got the fourth year. And we saw that with Muschamp, that didn't really do anybody any good. I mean, his recruiting fell off and he was basically a dead man walking by the time that Missouri game came around. Whew. Man, we talked almost an hour about Felipe Franks, Will. <laughs> hey, it's it's a topic everyone is passionate about. You, you definitely have two camps here. I mean, there are, there are the camp there is the camp of people who say he didn't get a fair shot, and there's the camp of people who say he's a bum. And I'm not sure either one is true. I mean, I, I think he got a pretty fair shake at, at proving what he could do within the framework of that offense. But I also think that there were times where he got sent out there where I felt sorry for him because it didn't feel like the coaching staff was giving him a chance, and so. You know, this is going to be a big question. I mean, we will know immediately if he's the starter, um, how good of a coach Mullen is, because if he starts going out there and lighting it up, then uh, that says something. And if he goes out there and struggles, I think it says something, too. But uh, um, I expect him to win the job. Like, that's my expectation. Um, I think the physical tools are going to be too. I think I think everybody's mouth is watering looking at a guy who can make all the throws. And then it's a question, and and especially coaches who all are not known for having small egos, um, you know, say, hey, I can fix these other things. Yeah. Um, I have my doubts as to whether those types of things can be fixed. I think accuracy is something that is can be improved, but is relatively inherent. And so, you know, you're going to have to build an offense that works around the accuracy issues. I don't think you're going to go, oh, he's going to jump from completing 54% of his passes to 64 next year under Mullen. I, just, I don't think that'll happen. But I, I hope be, I'm proven wrong. <laughs> I, I think it'd be interesting to see how much of a dual quarterback system will be used. Um, if it's not a lot, then more than likely they trust Felipe Franks a lot and he's making the plays. Um, but it also could be not a knock on Felipe Franks if you still see a lot of Emory Jones or like as you said Kyle Trask in in the red zone as a as a runner if he ends up being a, a player like that. But I think if you see a lot of Emory Jones as a second quarterback coming in, it's for a couple reasons. It's the offense works better when you have these two guys like this. It works better in certain scenarios with Emory Jones instead of Felipe Franks, maybe in the red zone where he could use his speed a little more after the defense is spread out. I think there's a couple way to a couple ways to to look at you know and, and you know we had the, the the faction of fan base in 2006 just because when Tim Tebow came in, good things happened that wanted that wanted him to to play over Chris Leak. Uh, that would not have been the right decision, and the coaches knew that and, and stuck with their plan. Uh, it will be interesting. That I think to, to see. I do think we'll see a dual quarterback system somewhat in in the season. I don't know how much we'll see in the spring. I don't even know how much we'll see these quarterbacks run in the spring, you know, given what spring practice is about. But uh, I will be interested to see when the season rolls around. Um, you know how much when when the games matter. When it's a close game. When it's an SEC game. When it's a conference game. How much are two quarterbacks used instead of just Felipe Franks or just Emory Jones? Yeah, well, nobody got upset when Tebow came in to relieve Leak, and Leak was way more accomplished <laughs> than any of the guys who were in there. So, and, and the other thing is, is that I, I think there is going to be a drive to get Emory Jones snaps, regardless, mm -hmm. because you have to prepare him for coming in. Can and we he, finally start blowing teams out again, where backups can actually get playing time? <laughs> well, we'll see whether there's another hurricane <laughs> this year too, because that has caused problems and. And those games do make a difference, and, and we need to acknowledge that too. But, um, you know, there is no backup quarterback because there is no starting quarterback. And so, you know, last year there was Luke Del Rio to turn to when Frank struggled. This year it's Emory Jones if or – I mean, hell, I want Tony to be the quarterback, but, but you know, it's it's Kyle Trask, it's Jake Allen, it's Jalen Jackson. Like, this is not a guy, these are not guys with proven track records. Some of them don't have proven track records in high school. So, you know, I, I really think that the 
just getting guys meaningful snaps in games this year is going to be a big deal because if you know if Franks goes down even if he's playing like a world beater if he goes down you got nobody with any experience behind him and so who's going to take those snaps so i i again i think franks probably wins the job but against charleston southern i think you probably see three or four guys take snaps um and and considerable snaps and same thing when you start looking at the second and the third game where you, you know if you can get up by a touchdown or two even in a game where it's relatively close you might want to bring somebody in where there's some crowd noise where they have to deal with silent counts where they have to execute things that you've been working on just because you know this was something that I said last year is that process is so much more important than results in many cases. And obviously you want to win every game and, and, and you want to blow people out and all that sort of stuff. But no one expects Florida to win a national championship in 2018. And so you got to do in 2018, what's necessary to compete for championships in 2019, 2020 and 2021. And so I think that means you're going to have to get a lot of people, a lot of snaps and, you know, we'll see who those guys are. The other thing is Frank's got three years of eligibility left too. So, uh, so it's not as if you're wasting snaps on a senior by not putting Emory Jones in. So yeah, I think you'll see, I think you'll see both just like you did in 2006. Maybe we just finally get our word from last year. Maybe we just finally see progress. progress <laughs> well, you know, I know you're praying for it every day, Dave. I know that's, uh, I know the, uh, <laughs> you got your rosary out and all sorts of stuff. And uh, there we go doing that so uh you know it's it's frustrating to see no progress it feels like there hasn't been any offensive progress since myers last year and you know 2012 was sort of a brief respite from that but even then the offense wasn't any good it was was just the defense was really 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 good um and but again i'm okay with that i mean the one thing i did like about mohan's press conference he said i just want to win i don't care how like we can win three nothing we can win 51 50 i don't care now i think his fan base cares and i think three nothing is not going to be received well um especially if it's if it's franks is the starter and if franks is struggling so um optics matter and i think optics matter for recruiting in 2019 more than they do for anything else um you know if they're losing games 45 to 48 but it's fun um I, I think people are going to come. And so it does make a difference. He won't say it will, but it does. <laughs> and the first chance we'll get to see all this is the open practices, Will. Uh, the first two op- the first two spring practices are open practice, and it was announced uh, Monday, yesterday. Uh, the first practice on the March 16th will be at 4.15 p.m., and the one on Saturday that's also an open practice on March 17th, the very next day, will be 11.40 a.m. So fans can head to the practice fields and watch the Gators uh, play. So I think I'm going to the – and we'll have an episode before then. But I think I'm going to go to that one on Saturday, uh, the 11.40 a.m. Uh, open practice, and, and then see what, the, uh, see what the Gators are doing pretty much just in their underwear. So you're going to periscope <laughs> me if Tony's taking snaps at quarterback, right? I'm sure they'll keep that hidden. it's gonna be what guys just in underwear and helmets right for those first couple practices hey man they're open it's hey i am not complaining at all about that well and that again optics matter and so you know having fans that are there and being positive and all that sort of stuff i mean i'm not sure mcelwain could have necessarily had open practices last year i think there would have been too much negativity especially after the start um though i don't know it Everybody thought it was going to be much, much better than yeah. it was going into going into last year, going into the spring game. So uh, maybe I'm wrong about that. But uh, but yeah, having the open practices, I think, is a great thing. Obviously, Mullen wants to pack the swamp for the spring game. Um, I'm not sure he's going to get 100,000 people in there, but uh, but we'll see. I mean, hopefully it fills up. Hopefully everybody supports the team. Um, you know, that is one of the nice parts about the Gator fan base is we are a uh, passionate bunch. We're an eclectic bunch as well. But uh, but we're also diehards, and so uh, I, I think I don't think Mullen's going to be disappointed in terms of the enthusiasm, unless he struggles, at which point he may get a little bit irked <laughs> by the enthusiasm. But you can't have one without the other, right? His salary gets paid by these same people. Yeah, that's right. As as do all his facilities getting built, and you know his dream job and all that sort of stuff. So uh, the good with the bad, and I'll be honest, I, I love this fan base. They're they're great. Yeah, we got to see it up close and personal uh, last week uh, in Jacksonville with the uh, Dan Mullen speaking tour. Uh, here and then the other stops as well around the state and uh, fans are passionate and hey, they didn't shy away from asking questions either. So uh, it was good that he answered this uh, as well. So will anything else before we sign off, man? No, man, just appreciate everybody's interaction. Appreciate everybody reading my stuff. And, uh, 
and certainly looking forward to football. So we got we got what about a month, month, five weeks left, something like that, until the yeah. spring game. And yeah. uh, next week we and, get the practices, so we'll get you know we'll we'll get some stuff out there uh, about that. But yeah, it, uh, well, I'm I'm sort of hoping, and I don't know whether he'll do this, but I'm sort of hoping he has ones on ones in in uh, oh, in the spring. Yeah, I mean, you know, this ones on twos where you just light up the other side is is uh, at is least Macawanian, for, I think. Uh, yeah, at least for the first couple of drives, at least. Yeah, at least give us one ones on ones for the first couple of drives. If you know, if he's hesitant about doing it, just a couple of drives, please. <laughs> well, one of my worries is that a lot of this stuff in the speaking tour is just lip service. That he thinks it's what we want to hear. Yeah, and and that relentless effort and compete, compete, compete. Like that means that when it's on national TV your number one defense needs to be playing your number one offense. I wouldn't be averse to him taking the red jersey off the quarterback either. I mean, you I, know, I wouldn't. I, I, I'm with you. Like, you know, let's play football. I mean, if yeah. somebody gets injured, somebody gets injured. But, um, you know, I, I think that there's value to putting your money where your mouth is and really making sure that if you're going to say my guys are going to compete, then make them compete. And if you're on the second team and you're playing against the second team defense, hey, like, you know, and obviously it doesn't have to be the whole game, but I think it sends a message to have that as the opening drive that, you know, you got your starting quarterback up against your up against your starting DBs. But then if it doesn't work, we'll, we'll all pile on. Well, then we got something to talk about, Dave. So, <laughs> like, like I told you, it's, it's risk-reward. It's risk-reward. Yeah, yeah. You know, one, one of the things I think that people didn't like about McIlwain is that at least behind the podium, he didn't seem willing to accept responsibility for the risks that he was taking. And, uh, you know, Mullen has not shied away from those expectations yet, and we'll see how that progresses. And so um, everything you see is a data point. And if you're going to preach com- competition, let's see it. Yep, and the competition starts next week. Spring practice opens up next Friday uh, for the Gators. Like I said, the first two are open practices uh, for the Gators and the spring practices and leading up to the Orange and Blue debut. And we'll do it again. Hashtag pack the swamp uh, for the spring game. Uh, Will, they can find you at readreaction.com. And like you said, you got more quarterback stuff coming up, uh, breaking down all the other quarterbacks, uh, as you've already broken down Kadarius Tony who won't be quarterback and Felipe Franks this past week. <laughs> hey, don't crush my dreams, man. I still think I still think third or fourth game, they're going to figure it out. So <laughs> I'm not giving it up. I, look, I, I want to give everybody a fair assessment. I want Gator fans to be able to take a look and say, hey, this is what my guy does well. This is where he struggles. Is the coach doing a good job of putting him in a position to succeed? And doing that with information rather than just guessing. And, and I think when you go and look at the tape, you can say definitively that McElwain and Nussmeyer did not put Franks in a situation to succeed. And so we'll be able to see if Mullen can do that. And if he can, then we're all going to be happy. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, you can find Will and his articles at readandreaction.com. You can find him on Twitter at WillMilesSEC. I'm your host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.